Welcome back to another week here on MWO Sports. I am Ryan Drury. I'll be joined first by Steve Sabrin, where we will chat with a great special guest, the general manager of the King Carden Bulldogs, Warren Beisel. will jump on to talk about his expectations for the season, returning players, and how excited he is to get the junior season rocking and rolling. Then Clarkie will jump on, and we'll talk about a number of big things in the sports world, including that epic final of the Women's World Hockey Championship between Canada and the U.S. MPP coming up huge again for the Canadians in a major tournament. Then we'll talk about the Buffalo Bills and the now ongoing and embroiling stadium saga in Buffalo. Fans there are not very happy right now. And we'll talk about some baseball news as well, including Thumbs Down Gate, they're calling it, in Metsville. That's all coming up next here on MWO Sports. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports here on CKNX Radio and CKNX.ca. I am Ryan Drury. That is Steve Sabrin. We are very pleased to be joined by another great special guest from the local hockey scene. Warren Beisel, the GM of the King Carden Bulldogs, is on the line with us. Warren, how are you? I'm great, Ryan. How are you? Doing well, man. We're really excited about the season getting underway. We're excited that the season's happening in general, and I'm sure you're sharing those sentiments as well. How excited are you to get things finally going again in the PJHL loop? We are absolutely the same as you guys, right? And, and communities and fans and players and coaches and trainers, everybody, right? We're, we're, we're excited to, to get back in a rink and see some hockey. Uh, Warren, uh, you've had some time as a general manager, um, kind of getting things going a couple seasons now uh, before the pandemic hit. Um, what does the team look like at this point and uh, what work has been done to try to bolster up the lineup heading into this season? Well, I, you know, we, we did a lot of work when I say a lot of work, a lot of our so-called heavy lifting was done a year ago, pre pandemic, right? We were all optimistic that we might get to play last year and it didn't happen. Um, so, so we had a lot of old three kids that we had signed that we were excited about, um, they had AP'd with us at some point, or we had scouted them or seen them. So those kids, now they're, you know, I call them rookies or young guys, but now they're 0-3, so they're an 18-year-old kid, and they haven't experienced a full junior season, right? So, you know, there's eight or 10 kids in that bracket that we're excited about, Todd's excited about, the staff's excited to work with them, and ultimately that player doesn't know how or where they fit in. And we don't know either. Right. But I I'm confident that we have a hardworking group as far as those kids that age group. And I'm excited for them to get experience in the league and be in the league as a permanent fixture. Um, you know, outside of that, uh, Bryce McFadden will be one of our OAs and quite likely our team captain, a local kid. Um, and, and we're excited to have him there and, and, He's excited to be with these young guys, right? Uh, Brendan Long from uh, Local Kid also. We've got him back from St. Mary's on our back end. That will help us. Big, strong kid. Uh, we're excited to have him. You know, Joseph Pringle, an 0-2 defenseman that got a full season in. Uh, a physical kid that is respected in the room. We're excited for his leadership qualities. Uh, Kent Ryby, another OA defenseman that's been with us for three seasons. That will be back. So we've got some some veteran leadership that we're excited to kind of groom our old three group into our league. And 
I, we're going to be competitive. You know, I'm not going to say we're going to be in the top two or three teams, but I honestly know that we're going to be a hardworking team. And with the coaching staff that we have, we're pretty excited at what we, what we can put out on the ice. We're chatting with the general manager of the King Carden Bulldogs, Warren Beisel. And Warren, I mean, you kind of nailed down the identity of what your franchise has been, at least in the long time that we've been covering them. Hardworking, I think everybody would would kind of characterize the Bulldogs as a, a defense first team. Definitely a franchise that prides itself on playing great responsible defense. And it sounds like you've got a great returning core that's going to, you know, kind of lead these young guys along. And, and talk a bit about that too, right? Because like you said heading into that 1920 season before it was taken away from us uh you guys really made an effort to reinvest in the local youth hockey um you know pole area if you will you guys brought in a lot of young guys from Kincardine minor hockey and invested in that just how important is that for a junior c team to be able to do that and have that kind of lifeblood in terms of a pipeline of guys coming right from your town's minor hockey system how important is that to you guys well it, it's a big part I, I think any junior team would echo the same thing right like when i was fortunate enough to coach our team here from 04 to 08 our top players were town kids, Dustin Cato, Curtis Chaput, Tim Donnell, right? They, they were talented kids from our hometown. So it, it, they're good players and they help you in the community. They've got a vested interest in the town and the program itself. And, and it's huge, right? So it's, I'm not saying that some of these local kids that we have are those same type of players, but, you know, we're going to have six, seven, eight kids from town now, right? With Long, McFadden. Um, Jordan Moulton, Wilson Ship, uh, Liam Calhoun, Jordan Beisel, you know, so we're, we're going to have some town kids that are proud to put on our jersey and, and that's huge in a junior C environment, right? So we're excited for them and they're excited to be a part of it. First of all, 04, Warren, that's 17 years ago. You're making me feel old. A <laughs> uh, little, little story here. Our first real junior C run, Ryan, uh, I made the trip with King Carden to Penetang uh, two years in a row, and that was quite the journey on the bus, um, Going, uh, getting picked up at the Durham Arena and then going up to Penetang was fantastic. So thank you to the King Carden Bulldogs for that, for sure. Um, but Warren, you talked about the kids investing in their town, but the town's also investing in you, the community. Uh, I know you had some big sponsors sign up a year ago, and they've stuck with the club, and that has to be... Uh, satisfaction from a uh, from a team standpoint but also from a community standpoint absolutely we we no different than any other town right we, we've got a community that is proud of our junior team and they get behind it and you know the 75 dollar quarter page sponsor ad means as much to me as that you know the darling pools that's going to be our major sponsor right they all feel part of it and uh we wouldn't be here without them, right? The community is huge to us. Absolutely. And and like you said, Warren, we're chatting with the general manager of the Kincardine Bulldogs, Warren Beisel here. Like you said, that that's such a big part of it. And, and the community aspect is what makes junior hockey special. It doesn't matter what level it is, the OHL right down to junior C and minor hockey, of course. The community is what keeps things driving forward. And Kincardine has always supported the Bulldogs very, very well. And like you said, you've got a lot of young guys that really didn't get 
an opportunity to experience a full season, uh, playoffs, that sort of thing. New guys that are coming into the fold as well. How exciting is that for you guys to have all these young guys and obviously exciting for them to be able to actually experience what it's going to be like to play in this league? Absolutely, right? Be there as a consistent player day in and day out and practice and play every weekend, right? Not as an AP coming and going. So those kids are excited. Our coaches are excited and they're learning, right? We've been on the ice now uh, probably a half dozen skates. You know, we were fortunate enough to have the ice in early here and get some time on the ice and run a bit of a rookie camp. And and the vibe's great, right? It's uh, it, it's newfound energy for everybody, right? And, and I think coming out of what we've lived with this pandemic, it's fantastic, right? To, to, to get back to the ranks, see smiles on the face and kids say, yep, I'm ready to go. I want, I want to show what I've got, right? So it's huge. Uh, Warren, what about the landscape of the uh, Pollock division? Um, we've talked to a couple of teams already, but wanted to get your sense about, uh, you know, how competitive this division is going to be uh, going into a season where uh, you haven't played each other for over a year. Hey, our, our, when we played a full season the last time, which was 1920, I thought the parody was great, right? Like, I, truthfully, top to bottom, you had to show up and, and earn and work hard to get your two points. And I don't see that being any different, right? You, you, you know, for me, myself, and, and my coaching staff, Mount Forest is a team to beat. And until somebody beats them, they're still the team to beat, right? Um, Wingham was right there chasing with them, obviously. And, and, you know, they got cut short on that league final after game two. Right. So Wingham's obviously, you know, the next tier. Hanover and Mitchell made a lot of great acquisitions, some junior B guys, and they're going to be good teams. There's no doubt about it. The names they brought in, they're going to be good. Right. So I, I'm just hoping that we can compete with those teams and, and win the odd game here and there and steal the odd game. But I think top to bottom, our league's going to be real good. And it's exciting for the fans. It's exciting for the players. And it's exciting for our coaches, right? Because everything's meaningful. Points are going to matter. And the days of going and beating somebody 10-1, I just don't see that happening. I completely agree, Warren. And like you said, I mean, it's funny you say that because, you know, we talked with Rob Nixon of Mount Forest last week, and he said for his money that this is the toughest division in the PJHL. And the numbers would bear that out if you look at the standings over the last few years and the score lines. I mean, it, the, the Pollock division is tooth and nail, and it's going to be really exciting to see how it all shakes out. You mentioned your coaching staff, of course, Todd Norman. We all know what this guy's about. He's just a consummate pro behind the bench. He's got a plentiful amount of winning experience from his listable days. With all these young guys coming in, Obviously, it's a bit of advan uh, advantageous, if you will, for your franchise to have a guy like Todd behind the bench because he's going to get guys caught up pretty quick. Absolutely, right? And and we ran these these last six skates that we had. We ran a rookie camp, and then we brought in some of our vets. And the other night, Todd kind of blew his stock. He didn't like the way the skate was going. And I said, remember, September 7th is our main camp. These are just conditioning skates but it engages the whole group right they know he's serious they know he's competitive and they know that ultimately he wants the best for them as the athlete right so it was good to see and, and you know so Todd's back the whole group's back which is great it, it gives us stability at that position Todd's huge in helping us recruit players um, Russ Sutton's back as well familiar with the league been in Godridge played in the league 
he's a huge asset. Blair Pollock's back. Blair Pollock's back again as well. The young coach. That's good. And another kid that we've added to our staff just as a, as a um, skills coach is Brett Cato, an alumni from our team that plays senior in Ripley. So it's, uh, we, we got a good group of guys there together and they're excited to work with a young team that wants to be at practice and wants to learn. So it's, it's, it's going to be fun. It's funny. Uh, the, the Cato name seems to be synonymous with Concordian Bulldogs hockey. Uh, I remember covering Brett when he uh, skated with the Listowel Cyclones and then he uh, jumped to the Concordian Bulldogs, of course, so older brother Dustin on that great run back in the day, Warren. Um, just looking at, I guess, some of the guys coming back, uh, do they have a sense of kind of unfinished business after that last season? Um, it, you talked a little bit about the energy. Do you see that fire within them to, to get back to work? Yeah, I think so, right? Like we, when I talked with you guys in post interviews, when that season was done, I did, I certainly didn't think we could beat Wingham, but I certainly thought we could give them a better bang for their buck, right? They beat us in four games and we didn't put up much of a fight, right? Like I said, I never thought we could beat them, but I certainly thought we could win a game or two or put a little bit of heat on them. So I would hope that there's some burn in those veterans that says, Hey, you know what? We maybe didn't put our best foot forward and let, let's, you know, our junior days are numbered. Let, let's try and make this right. Right. Not that it was wrong, but it could have been better. And I thought it should have been better. And our staff thought it should have been better too. Absolutely. Well, Warren, uh, I got to tell you, we're really excited to see you guys at the rink again. We're excited that the season's right around the corner. Uh, I can't wait until a month from now as we record this to get back inside the rink, see the Bulldogs play and get back to the P&H Center. It's, it's going to be great. Or, or pardon me, the, the rink in King Card and not Hanover. We're excited about Hanover too, but uh, we're excited to go everywhere. I, I'm just excited to see you again, man. It, it's been a really, really long layoff and we're uh, we're fired up for you. So I'm excited about the team, all the guys that you mentioned that are coming back. It sounds like you've got a great core and that's important. And of course we know that your coaching staff and the front office are top notch too. Warren, we really appreciate this, man. Right on. Thanks guys. We appreciate what you guys do for our league. It's huge. Absolutely. Hey, we're, uh, we're passionate about it like you guys are. And it's, it's great that we have these relationships with the teams and people like yourself. That's what makes it special. My friend, thanks for doing this. Right on. Thanks guys. Have a great long weekend. You too. Really appreciate our friend Warren Beisel, the general manager of the King Harden Bulldogs joining us. I of course meant the Davidson center when I referenced <laughs> P and H center. I it's been, a, if you can't tell folks, it's been a while since we've been in all of our great local rinks. I did mean the Davidson center in beautiful King Carden. excited to get back in there. And like I said, all of the junior ranks, but Steve, I mean, like you said, we, we've, We've talked almost to all of the teams. We've got a couple more to catch up with before the season starts. Um, and Warren, just like the rest of them, just excited to get started. And it's going to be great to see some of these young kids get an opportunity to actually play, hopefully, a full season. Yeah, and October the 1st is the starting date for the PGHL Pollock Division. And hopefully we'll see a schedule within uh, the next few days, early next week, midweek. Um, but we'll keep everybody informed on that. But sounds like it's going to be uh, shaping up to be an excellent opening night. Uh, of course, the GOJHL opening up uh, the weekend before that. Um, as we look forward to broadcasting Listowel's home opener on the Sunday, uh, September the 26th, when they face off against Caledon. And uh, other things are happening as well. WOAA Senior Hockey 
releasing its start date as October the 1st with 13 teams playing a 20 game schedule. Um, they met this week, their committee and talked about not only the scheduling, but as well a vaccination policy, which a lot of leagues have put forth. Um, now there is the provincial mandate for uh, proof of vaccination coming into effect as well. Uh, but leagues, associations, everybody uh, making sure they have everything lined up and it's going to be for the WOAA senior loop, uh, much of the same uh, proof of two doses of the vaccine if you're involved with the team, whether it be player, coach, trainer, uh, volunteer, executive member, anybody who is involved with the team uh, must have their two doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. And uh, that's a policy that they, they issued this week. So um, looking forward to hockey returning, uh, but of course, some conditions in place. Uh, it's not, there's no gray area, black or white, either you do or you don't if you're going to be playing or involved with the team in any sort of, uh, any sort of capacity. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Steve. Um, the, the WOAA is uh, basically following suit with what the OHL's done, what we've seen major league teams do, of course, and uh, the GOJHL as well, who uh, put out a mandatory vaccination policy for what they call player access personnel. So in the junior level, uh, of course, that also involves billet families as well. Um, league staff, officials, players, coaches, anybody essentially involved with the team. WOAA, of course, doesn't have a billet family issue, but all, all things apply the same. And uh, all the leagues, including the PGHL uh, as well, are going to be putting out shortly a uh, basically a policy for fans, essentially everybody not involved directly with the team in terms of a vaccination policy. I imagine it will be very much the same as uh, player access staff. Uh, and you're right. Yeah, the uh, the WOAA, they've got a new team this year. It's a 13-team loop. Uh, the Cremor Coyotes joining up, and they are joining the 12 returning teams. Of course, that being Clinton, Durham, Lucknow, Milverton, uh, Minto, Petrolia, Ripley, Sogging Shores, Seaforth, Shallow Lake, Shelburne, and Tavistock. So a 13-team loop for the WOAA, GOJHL, uh, minus Buffalo, of course, uh, because of the border issues uh, with all those uh, regular teams. 25 teams will be back as well. Uh, it's going to be exciting. I can't wait to get junior hockey started again. Uh, we'll take a quick break here. Want to note as well, when the schedules are out for the PJHL, stay tuned on blackburnnews.com. Uh, under our Midwestern Ontario sports section. We will have it. We will tweet it out, put it on Facebook. We'll share it like we always do with local sports news. Uh, as soon as we know, you'll know. All right, we'll take a quick break here on MWO Sports. When we come back, Clarkie will jump on, and there's a lot to talk about. The Bills are making noise about a stadium. Baseball, we're in the stretch drive, and there's plenty of hockey stuff to talk about as well here on MWO Sports. Stay tuned. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back to MWO Sports here on CKNX Radio, cknx.ca. Ryan Drury still alongside Steve Sabrin. Clarky jumps on the show with us. Clarky, how's it going, man? Hello. Are you going to wear that? A People can't see it, obviously, on radio, but you're wearing an A's hat as we record. We're going yeah. down to the ball game on Sunday. Are you going to be in A's gear? Because maybe we shouldn't sit with them, Steve. Yeah. Well, come on now. Yeah. One million percent. I'm going to be in A's gear debating whether or not I want to wear my really nice uh, Kelly Green 
Oakland A's Matt Chapman jersey. I don't want to get anything thrown at me, but I Didn't will you be just wearing get like a T-shirt or something you wanted. To well, wear? I've got a special T-shirt and, you know, I but I'm debating. Do I want to wear my Matt Olson shirt that I have or do I want to wear my pitching ninja shirt, uh, which I love? But I will be wearing this hat. Not right. to worry, Clark. He, I, I got an exchange on his ticket. He'll be at the 500 level. And oh, right perfect. Right. Now, and you know perfect. what? I'd, I'd actually prefer that, to be honest. It'll be quiet. I can <laughs> so would we. I can scream and yell and not bother anybody. Uh, though oh, you'll still echo. bother people. It, well, it might echo in the Sky Dome. You never know. Um, all right. Before we uh, touch on a number of things, including another epic USA Canada showdown at the Women's World Hockey Championships, want to mention really quickly, uh, just jumping off of our previous local junior hockey segment, the Mitchell Hawks recently announced a pretty big addition to their coaching staff, Steve, and it's somebody we're pretty uh, familiar with. Yeah, Louis Livingston stepping in as head coach of the Mitchell Hawks. And, you know, Louis took the Wingham Ironman uh, to the uh, Schmaltz Cup semifinals in 2013-14, where they lost to Essex in six games. It was a fantastic run for the Ironman that year. They had a number of players, if everybody uh, remembers. Aaron Armstrong, of course, leading scorer in uh, Ontario Provincial Junior C uh, all-time. Of course, uh, Brett Brophy, hometown defenseman. And in that for that team was one gentleman by the name of Ben Nelson, who's a wow. native and is now an assistant coach with Louis Livingston um, to, to help round out the staff. And uh, Ken Jacklin will be the other assistant as well. So funny story about Ben Nelson, because he was with the Mitchell Hawks and he got traded to the Ironmen and they ended up making that run a couple uh, seasons after the trade. So uh, Ben back with his hometown of Mitchell, you know, guys, yeah, really think that Mitchell's going to be running for a championship this year. Uh, they got some veteran players and now they got a veteran coach um, who's had success at this level. So I know we just talked about Warren and how close this, this uh, Pollock division may be this season. Anyways. All right, guys, let's talk about USA Canada. I mean, Women's World Hockey Championship. Thank God it actually happened. They went through that whole debacle with it being canceled out in Halifax. Calgary steps up. They ran a perfect event, not a single positive test among anybody within that bubble. And USA Canada in the final after Canada shellacked the US 5-1 in the round robin to win Group A. They, of course, end up meeting in the final. And uh, again, Maybe the most clutch goal scorer in hockey on the planet right now, MPP Marie-Philippe Poulain, who, of course, had that scary throat injury. She got hit in the neck area uh, in one of the round-robin games. Uh, she comes back and, of course, is the one that goes bar south for the winner. It was just another all-time classic between Canada and USA, guys. It was fun to watch, for sure. And, uh, you know, when, when, the, when she shot that puck, I thought that went in, and then it was like, you know, Rod Black's call. He thought it was in. She knew it was in. Um, yep. But I thought it hit the back bar and came down. It actually hit crossbar, goalpost. But then it just went down on that little angle, was about two inches off um, and obviously over the line. And it was kind of uh, – I heard some people complaining. Our good friend of the show, Carlo Koliakovo, that's not the way to, um, to decide a champion on a three-on-three. -three. I'll tell you what. It's a lot better than a shootout. And to see that overtime, um, I think they went the first five, six minutes without a whistle. And it was end-to-end -end action. And you're on the edge of your seat. Why can't you watch it that way? It's a team effort. Yes, there's only four players as opposed to six on the ice. 
Um, but it's still a team effort and it's way better than a shootout. And it was an exciting game. And uh, yeah, sure. It's I probably, I would have been either way, better way to finish if us had a one as well, but um, it was a great result. Did the camera get the assist? Oh, wait, wrong, wrong series. <laughs> um, but you know what, Clarky, you're never going to get away from the purists. They'll always be calling for five aside over time, just play till it's done. Um, but I mean, mm-hmm. from a, you know, at least you're right. At least it wasn't a shootout. And uh, Ryan, to your point, Marie-Philippe Poulain, uh, look at her, look at her run, right? Uh, three gold medals. She's had two of the game-winning goals in those gold medal uh, victories for Canada over the years. So uh, what a w- w- uh, what a way to finish that tournament off for her, of course, the veteran leader of that team. Uh, Canada really got uh, effort from their secondary players, right? Uh, Roderay in the one game against the U.S. had a couple of goals um, and, you know, goaltending was outstanding. And what a, it has to be a relief for the Canadian program all around to finally finally get a win against us in a medal game winning in group play fine you know but it's the medals at the end of the day that count so uh good 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 for them and And, uh, coming back to win that and as i was watching this tournament there's no question that canada and us are miles ahead of anyone else yes finland it was a close game with finland canada got down too early uh, in their game with finland but the shot like they totally dominated the game and yeah anyone can win you know what i'd love to see i'd love to see a two out of three or three out of five canada us um that kind of format you have the two best teams in the world bar none It's sort of like, it reminds me of the Summit Series. Like it was Canada and Russia back then. They were the two best teams for sure. And it would be just cool to see like a two out of three, a three out of five, a four out of seven, whatever the case may be to decide a championship like that. I think there would be huge viewership for that, for all the games. And I think it would be pretty neat to watch. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm kind of surprised. And I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but you know, it's, it's almost like, the game for women elsewhere in the world has stalled. And while the U S and Canada continues to get better and better, you look at the speed between those two teams in those matches, uh, the shots, the creativity, uh, the skating, uh, it was, it was fantastic, but you know, it just seems like the rest of the world isn't keeping pace. Mm-hmm. And that gap is actually growing between the U S and the rest of the world, which is not good for international competition. So hopefully, hopefully uh, some programs can, can really step it up um, and, and uh, become a little more competitive, but. Well, well, yeah, at the end of the day, Steve, it's just about countries and federations and hockey organizations investing in the women's game and in the Russia's and the Germany's, to a degree, Finland, uh, we're really not seeing that. And I mean, Finland, yeah, like you said, Clarky, are probably the closest competition. Of course, you know, they're, they're led by, you know, goaltending over the course yep. of their last few t- Like Nora Ratty is arguably, if you talk to people within the women's game, the best women's goaltender of all time. Um, you know, you can certainly make that argument, but the rest of the team and the rest of these countries, 
certainly need to step up and start investing in the women's game in order to try and topple the hierarchy of the U.S. and Canada. And like you mentioned, Steve, 2012 was the last time Canada won a women's world hockey championship. The United States has dominated for the better part of a decade. So this is a huge win for them. And I believe it's now three unbelievably clutch goals for Marie-Philippe Poulin, the OT winner in Vancouver, the winner in, uh, in Sochi, and also now the winner in this Women's World Hockey Championship, MPP. She's one of the greatest female hockey players of all time now. She has staked her claim as uh, as one of the best ever. Uh, she's up there with the Wickenheisers of the world, the, oh, yeah. the Cassie Campbell Pascals, the Jaina Heffords. She is right in there, uh, so and the, she deserves it. So, Hockey Hall of Fame? I, uh, not even a question. Not even a question. Marie-Philippe Poulin is a Hockey Hall of Famer. That's not even a question at this point. She could retire today and and be a first ballot Hall of Famer, no problem. Uh, oh, it was Anderson a great scored game. some big goals too, eh? And I agree as well. I, I think it would be cool to see almost a Canada Cup-esque um, type of final. Uh, whether it's USA Canada all the time like we see or hopefully these countries catch up that that would be interesting. I, I think it would be cool. I think really guys, my takeaway from, from this tournament in closing is, is how desperately we need a professional women's hockey league that is unified and is, is all together. Um, um, all right, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, Buffalo Bills. Now, last week we talked a bit about the Coyotes arena situation. Yeah, I mean, you you skunk me out of that one. Well, you know, you were busy. Where did you say they should thing. go? Quebec, right, Ryan? Quebec. Uh, listen, it, it just makes the most sense. They've got a building. Um, you can talk about all the, and I know you want them to go to and make a second team in Toronto. What I'm not going to have that it argument. Makes way with you. much it, more sense. It just doesn't. It it just simply doesn't Why? make more Why? sense. Why? Because there's already too too well of an established team there. You could argue the same thing about uh, Montreal, but Quebec City is a completely different city. But but moving on from that, there's another uh, arena, if you will, stadium debacle that has come to the fore. And a lot of people in this area are going to be uh, pretty interested in this because we know that there are a lot of Buffalo Bills fans in southern Ontario or just people generally who enjoy driving to Buffalo and not necessarily fans, but that's the closest stadium. Well, today it was announced by the Pagula group um, oh, that, that yeah, the, the Pagulas who of course own the much maligned Buffalo Sabres, they own the bills as well, that they want a new $1.4 billion stadium. Originally it was 1.6, but they knocked it down. It would include 60,000 seats and 60 suites. Uh, it, it would be about 12,000 less seats than the current facility, which is now called Highmark Stadium. Again, it's like the arena in Philly. It changes its name every year, it seems, uh, probably because the Pagulas pissed so many people off. But they want, and this is based on a report by the Associated Press, that Kim and Terry Pagula are committed to sharing part of the cost, but have not identified how much the expectation, it says here in the story, and I quote, is the state of New York and the county will be asked to cover more than 50% of this project with taxpayer money. Uh, you guys know this. I hate this. Uh, I can't stand who, it. Who likes it? I can't stand it. Who when... likes it? Who likes it when a team holds a city comp, um, uh, hostage? Who likes that? I, I, well, and, nobody. And I'm experiencing it right now with my Oakland A's. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's a whole other debacle. But this is disgusting. 
it is it is it happens in the NFL way more than any other league. Too. It really does. And and they they didn't they didn't say relocation. They didn't say that word, but they also didn't rule it out. And their president of Pagula Group said, we're not at that point yet, he said today. Now, they said that if they don't get this proposal through, that they will not renew their lease at what's now called Highmark Stadium. Many people still call it Orchard Park. So that lease expires in 2023. So basically the Pagulas are saying, give us all this money, half of 1.4 billion, so roughly $600 million, $700 million. Give it to us and we'll renew the lease and the, the building will be done by 2027. But if we don't get it, we're not renewing the lease there. And uh, we'll maybe have to look at relocation. Your thoughts on this, Steve, you've gone to a lot of Bills games over the years. I think we all have your thoughts on it. It's just such a joke. Well, it's it's almost standard operating procedure when it comes to uh, the NFL owners and, and demanding new stadiums. But also look at the timing. Uh, new York State has had a terrible time with the pandemic, um, and it, it's going to be a long road to recovery. The border is still closed uh, from from land traffic from Canada. Like Canadian fans can't even get across to watch a game uh, at this point in time. Um, and you know what? Buffalo is, is a situation where do you really want to say you're going to relocate the team? Because when you talk about fans of a club, oh. uh, the Buffalo fans are probably in the top three when it comes to North American sports. Now, granted, there is no doubt that new facilities are needed as much as you know, if you haven't been to Orchard Park, Ralph Wilson Stadium, New Era Field, whatever, Highmark Stadium, Highmark Stadium, whatever, whatever. Um, but yeah, it is it is old. It's got you know the old you know ramp system on the outside. Built, all, built in '73. It's all open air and and Clarky. It's like watching an Argos game at Old Exhibition Stadium, right? You loved it. You're and now football is a little different. You're, you're, you know, you're playing in the fall. You expect snow in Buffalo, um, and, and you battle the elements. Well, what are they, what kind of stadium? They're not looking at a dome not, stadium. No, they're nope. not. You get a roof, but they are looking at most of the seats being protected by the elements. So whether it's a partial roof, but there won't be like a Minnesota dome or anything. No, like no, that being no, no, no. That would be. Yeah. I mean, that pushed the cost to, you know, astronomical amounts. So. Um, at the end of the day, Buffalo is going to get a new stadium, but I don't think it's going to be by 2027. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, well, if you read into what the Pagulas are saying and it's, it's infuriating the story lists as well here, recent state, like $1.6 billion was the cost of the giants and jets shared MetLife stadium. Uh, it was entirely privately funded. The Vikings $1.1 billion U.S. Bank Stadium, which opened in 2016, had taxpayers cover 45.2% uh, of that one. Of course, we've seen in recent years what happened with the St. Louis Rams, the San Diego Chargers, now defunct, of course, and, and moved to L.A., both of them. 
Um, the Raiders, the Ra- the Raiders Oakland, o- Oakland, LA, Oakland, LA, Vegas. Oakland is Oakland is legitimately becoming, uh, the black hole in terms of, uh, of sports that what they used to refer to the Oakland fan base, the black hole, that's what Oakland's turning into. That's a whole other story. I don't want to discuss that. It just makes me upset, but it makes me upset here too. I like, I'm not a bills fan. I'm a Patriots fan. I res- and, and as a Patriots fan, I respect the heck out of the bills. I respect. They're fans a ton. Our buddy Dark Guy is a diehard Bill. We should have got him on. He, I know he's upset. I saw him post about it. Like, this is a joke. And what really bothers me about this is that these rich owners will turn around. It doesn't matter where it is. And they'll demand that the public pay for this stadium, that they yeah. retain the rights to, that, right. they, that they sell advertising rights to call it a name and they bank all that money. They, depending on the deals they set up with the county or city they're in, they get to keep a certain amount of the food and beverage revenue, concert revenue, ticket sales, of course, because the team is their property. And uh, do you think that when they get these shiny new stadiums outside of the guy down in Atlanta who actually did the fans a solid, do you think they're going to make anything cheaper? No. Jerseys will, jersey prices will go up, hats will go up. Tick, of course, ticket sales will go up. So, like, it none of this benefits the fans. Is it nice to have a new stadium? Yes, it is, but it's so anti fan. And what really bothers me is if you go back to when the Pagulas bought the Sabres, I think they bought the Bills the following year. I might have that mixed up, but 2010, I think it was. Terry Pagula said it was his number one goal to bring a Stanley cup to Buffalo. And he, and people asked him about spending and the budget on the team. And he said, listen, if I need more money, I'll go drill another well. So drill another well, Terry. Like you said that. And it just bothers me. These people have more money than anybody on earth, it seems. And they're like, no, you build it for me. Go you know, ahead, a lot Steve. of people who seem like they have a lot of money really don't have a lot of money. Just then don't Bruce own McCall. a sport. Then don't own a sports team. John I, I, Fisher. Hey, I, I'm just saying like, don't buy a sports team. I agree with you or get rid of it. Don't buy a sell sports it. team. Yeah. Sell it then. It's sell a it. joke. Exactly. If you can't afford a new stadium for your toy, sell the team. Offer it to Patrick Mahomes. He's got extra cash lying around. Um, <laughs> the thing about the, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see too how this debate um, accelerates with the upcoming season. The Bills are in the top three when it comes to favorites to make it to the Super Bowl yes. uh, across the league. So, I mean, if something happens and their record isn't where they want it to be, how that will affect discussions. Um you know, any I think anything below an AFC championship win is going to be seen a disappointment. A disappointment. Yep. But look at how like they. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of the Pagulas. I don't know how anyone can be. Like the way they decimated the Sabers and people are not joke out of that. And they're not fans of the Pagulas. And and I mean, no. I hear people. They turn around and go, "Well, look what they've done with the Bills. They've not done anything with the Bills." They've spent money on the bills, but they have taken a completely different approach in that when they hired Brandon Bean, he said, I'm not taking this job unless I have full autonomy over this football club. And to his credit, his credit and the great coaching staff there and John, Josh Allen, of course, they have turned the bills around. 
and the fans have been as passionate as always and flooded back even harder with this now very competitive team. It's got nothing to do with Terry and Kim Pagula, who are a disaster in terms of running the Buffalo Sabres. They are horrific owners. Did they, do they spend lots of money? Yes, they do. And we'll talk about another owner in the next segment who's spending plenty of money and things aren't changing. But it, that doesn't always fix things. Look at my Oakland A's. They have no money. They have no money. They're somehow always competing. And it's because Billy Bean is doing another Bean. I wonder if they're related. Um, it, it, it's their great work against all odds that are making these teams good. And I'll tell you what, Steve, you talk about that fan base down there and we all like to laugh at Bill's mafia going crazy. People are jumping through tables. I can tell you one person they'd love to send through a table right now. I mean, it's uh, they are not going to be popular uh, any more than they already aren't in Buffalo, the Pagulas. All right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, there's plenty to talk about in the baseball world, including a huge story out of New York, the Mets. It just can't get any worse. It seems until the players turn against the fans. We'll talk about that next here on MWO Sports. This is MWO Sports. Welcome back. Wrapping things up here on MWO Sports here on CKNX Radio, cknx.ca. Ryan Drury alongside Steve Saber and Chris Clark. Uh, obviously, we, we were just chatting about the Bills a little bit and some of the you know, anti-ownership things going on there. Let's talk about baseball real quick. Uh, as, as you mentioned, Clarky, we're, we're going to the Jays game on Sunday. That's going to be great. I don't think that they're going to be able to get back in this wild card race, which is unfortunate. They're um, done. It, well, it certainly looks like it. And uh, your old friend, sure. Brad Hand, uh, has been claimed yeah. by a team, the New York Mets. And uh, boy, he's arriving at a silly time, isn't he, in New York after Javier Baez and Francisco Lindor, two of their high-profile players, one, of course, signed to a 10-year deal, the other a big acquisition at the trade deadline, were, were seen giving the thumbs down to each other the other day when they had a big win and people were like, what, what's that all about? And Javier Baez said in the post-game press conference that the fans boo us too much. And so when we have success, we're booing them back. Well, as you can imagine in Mets land, this did not go over well in New York, the biggest media market in the world. And uh, yeah, things got sour pretty quickly between the fans. And uh, of course, President Sandy Alderson, uh, Mr. Met, who has been doing, trying to do great work there, came out and condemned the statement. Baez and Lindor apologized, but boy, it was a pretty heated 48 hours. What is your opinion on this, Clark? I'll start with you. Just the player's... I mean, unabashedly going against the fans. <laughs> I tell you what, I, if I, I, I would be looking to get rid of them. That's what I'd be doing. I'd be shipping them out. Can you, you get rid of Lindor? You got to send a message. And, well, Baez won't be back. We know that. Right. I don't know. I, I just, I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't, I like your fans are what pays the salaries of the players and your fans are the ones that make things happen they have every right to boo the players don't have the right to do what they did in my opinion it's it's childish first of all it's ridiculous and what are they trying to accomplish at the end of the day all they're going to do unless they um don't know this uh, are going to rile the fans even more like i don't know what they were trying to accomplish right like at the end of the day what was the end game what was the end game you guys can't do this to us 
Well, guess what? I yeah, they can. I I don't know. Um, it was weird. And then the What's following the day, game? I don't get it. The following day, Baez walks off and and gets the win. It was just weird. Uh, Steve, your thoughts on the uh, the Mets thumbs down gate? You don't want to get booed. Play better. That's it. Bottom line. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Fans have every right to do whatever they want. And it's wild because the Mets, they were in first place in their division for so long. They've completely cratered. Of course, Jacob deGrom's been injured, which is unfortunate because I love watching him pitch. But then their GM is put on administrative leave. He's been suspended, and Alderson's taking over for him, Zach Scott, uh, after a DUI. Like, it just – it's the most hashtag LOL Mets thing yep. ever. It, it just – and on the other side of town, the Yankees running off 13 or 14, whatever it was in a row, 13 in a row. First time since 61, they've done that. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It just Steve Cohen, the richest owner in pro sports over here buys the team. It's not getting better. It's, it's just ridiculous. Okay. Some hockey news as well. Uh, the OHL making uh, a pretty significant statement. They've suspended Logan Mayu, who is of course owned uh, his rights in the OHL by the London Knights and he drafted by Montreal by and way. drafted inexplicably by Montreal. If you're not first familiar round with Logan Mayu, just, I, I don't know how you're not familiar with him. He can apply for reinstatement on January 1st of next year. Uh, I would expect that that will be denied um, due to the, uh, you know, whole thing he got mixed up with an over in Sweden last year uh, where he was convicted of uh, a, a sexual crime uh, of sexual nature. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, good on the OHL. This was absolutely yeah. the right move. And uh, you know, it just makes what Montreal did look right. that much worse. Yes, I agree. And it boggles the mind that they haven't given him back and say, we're, we're, we don't own this guy anymore. I, uh, yeah, we saw Arizona do that recently with that fourth rounder. Uh, yeah, that a uh, terrible story there as well. Um, and I've yeah. heard that that sponsors have pulled out. Um, the prime minister tweeted about it. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, the like, Molson's what? own the, the team, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I, again, Mark Bergevin, I, I, I don't really, drink Molson. Huh, I really question. I just can't wrap my head around. We st- we talked about this recently with our buddy Sean Fitzgerald, where we dove head first into this Clarkie. And again, I, yeah. I still can't wrap my head around that decision. All right, let's talk about more Montreal uh, matters here. <laughs> Yesperi Kakiniemi. Now, of course, Montreal last year tried to offer sheet Sebastian Ajo of the Hurricanes. They, of course, matched it. Now they've offer sheeted Yesperi Kakiniemi to a pretty significant deal, $6.1 million, which is ridiculous for all due respect to Kakiniemi. I think he's a nice little player, $6.1 million. It's, it's silly um, on, t- on two fronts. It, it's, it's silly for the, the hurricanes because I just can't believe that they would ever fathom paying him that much. And it's silly for Montreal because I mean, it's a little bit of get back at you for last year when they came after their star in Carolina, just your thoughts on that Clarky. It's it, like, I, I, I'm sure I lo- thought and you laughed. I laughed. I love the pettiness. I love the fact that Carolina announced it via Twitter in French. I love the fact that they yes. gave him a $20 signing bonus, Aho's number. Um, I love the fact that Don Waddell's quote was very much the same as Mark Bergevin's quote. Yeah, they copied um, it was and a, pasted it. It was unbelievable. It was so petty. It was great to watch. Um, I think there's more to it. I think that they've only announced this one-year deal. If they do sign him, I think it'll be 
you'll see an extension fairly quickly and not at 6 million. I think this was, this is not from what I've been told, not cap circumvention. If you announce a one-year deal and then afterwards you announce another three years at two, it's not cap circumvention at all. Um, so they're allowed to do that. They're allowed to, they're allowed they to are. have that agreement. So, um, cause he's not a $6 million player. Let's be honest. No, not he even isn't close. He is not even close. Um, and Montreal's got their back against the wall. Um, 21 year old center that they drafted third overall, obviously yep. wanting this guy to succeed. Um, if he's not back, no, uh, no Shea Weber. Um, it'll be interesting to see, but, uh, they have to, uh, they have to make a decision and I think they're going to let him walk. I think they should let him walk. They should take the picks. They'll get a first rounder and a third rounder. I absolutely think they should let him walk and take the picks. Uh, plus they have a, another young center coming along in Ryan Paling that they, uh, they can slot in the lineup and see how he does uh, really quick as well. The Jack Eichel saga rolling on uh, Buffalo again, just, uh, they just can't get it right. Well, he's over changed, in Buffalo. He's, he's changed agents. Now he's now, Pat I think Brisson. Brisson. so that you got to tell you at least somewhere his group thought we better get another opinion here. And are we getting some bad advice? So he's switched agents. Um, a lot of, a lot of Ottawa Senator rumors this week, um, him going there. I can't see that happening. Uh, Montreal has got to jump back into the fray here with a couple more draft picks in their pocket. Um, you would think Buffalo would most likely um, have the name Cole Caulfield at the top of their list. If oh. Jack Eichel gets traded. Um, so we'll see what happens. It's going to be fun to watch what happens with, uh, with that as well. Yeah. We just need really at the end of the day, I love watching him play. I just want this guy to get a surgery, be healthy, have a long career wherever and be able to play. He's a tremendous player. I think people forget that sometimes. And, uh, yeah, Ottawa, they certainly have the prospect capital and the if cap room. If they'll give them up. Yeah. If they'll give up those prospects, which I bet you they would, but would Jack do it? Montreal, I don't think they'll give up Cole Caulfield. I don't think they want to give up Nick Suzuki. I wouldn't. I don't think I want to. They want to give up Alexander Romanov. It'll well, be especially if it's Suzuki Caulfield in a first. Oh yeah, you, no can't way. you can't. You can't do There's that. There's no way. It'd be a little too much. All right. Yep. We're plumb out of time here. Uh, remember, you can listen to the show Friday nights at 6 on CKNX AM 920, cknx.ca. You can find the podcast on all the best podcast apps. Remember, you can watch our show Friday nights at 8, Sunday nights at 9 with our friends on Whiteman. This week, they're going to be running a best of on Friday and Sunday. And, of course, you can uh, follow us on social media at MWO underscore sports and watch us on our YouTube channel as well. All right. For myself, Ryan Drury, that's Steve Sabrin. That is Clarky. We appreciate you listening to and watching as always MWO sports.